Welcome to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast with your hosts, Danny and Vanessa Panzella Velez. Join us and special expert guests as we discuss love, sex, parenting, psychedelics, and spirituality. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, please visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sovereign Love Stream. Hello, happy Sunday. How's everybody doing out there in the interwebs? <laughs> Having a good day so far, a good weekend so far? We hope so. Um, hit us up in the comments and uh, let, you know, let us know what you're thinking about what we're talking about. We want this to be an interactive show. So please feel free and welcome to join in and, and enter into the commentary. Do you want to introduce the topic? Um, sure, I guess so. <laughs> Today we are talking about all of the ego traps that we experience within our relationships, how they can totally mess with our relationships, mess with um, our views of the relationships that we're in, and not just romantic partnerships, but all of our relationships. Our egos can be really tricky. Um, and I like to say they run psyops on us. <laughs> My ego is really tricky. It like takes on many different personas and runs all kinds of psyops on me. <laughs> and all of the psyops are designed for one purpose. Well, I shouldn't say that they're designed for one purpose because I think our ego ha is like well-meaning, right? Yeah. Ultimately, our ego is trying to protect us from pain. It's trying to keep us from getting hurt. Um, the problem is that sometimes in the process of trying to protect us, it puts up walls and those walls keep us from experiencing love to the fullest extent that we that's that we can that we could yeah um i think that yeah you're absolutely right it, it the ego's intention is to protect us um we learn at a very young age to defend ourselves against the uncomfortable feelings and we build walls in order to do that and then of course once we enter a relationship and we want to feel the full extent of the love flowing through our relationship, it's almost impossible because there's all these walls standing in between you and the other person, you and love itself, um, and from experiencing love just flowing through you. So, um, like Danny said, it's it can run all sorts of psyops, <laughs> and um, there are moments where you think you're not in your ego, and it's then you come to find out holy crap that is totally my ego making me think that it's not my ego anymore so um it can be very tricky uh we like to also call it a petty tyrant and sometimes you have to go hunting for your petty tyrant um to discover all the areas in which it's hiding and hijacking your relationships um so that's our topic today. <laughs> yeah, I tend to be, um, I tend to not like the idea of calling your ego a petty tyrant because I think there's a lot of, I tend to be very judgmental, uh, mostly of myself. And then because I judge myself so harshly, I try to hold other people to that same standard and end up judging other people as well. Um, and I think the petty tyrant is like giving me an excuse to judge myself, right? Mm. Like, oh, my ego's a tyrant. So, I prefer, I prefer now to think of my ego as my inner child and treat it that way. Like, you know, my I have a nine-year-old and sometimes, not so much anymore, but when he was little especially, you know, if you think of yourself as a five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum because you want something or you need something and, you know, kids don't always have the, the um, a productive way of expressing themselves. You know, if they're hungry, they get cranky and they may not even under realize that they're hungry. Xander would, he would go, he would not be hungry, he would, or he would not express he was hungry, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm starving. Well, why didn't you tell me when you first felt hungry an hour ago, <laughs> right? And I think our ego can be like that sometimes, where it doesn't really know how to communicate, so it just, it's really like a five-year-old. And I think it's, it's, very connected. I haven't studied Freud too much, but I think it's very connected to kind of the reptilian brain, which is basically doesn't really see things in, 
in very distinct ways. It just kind of sees archetypes or um, kind of kind of the shadows. It's almost like uh, one of the books I've, I've read, um, actually we both read that we've talked about on the show before, um, Getting the Love You Want, talks about how your reptilian brain kind of classifies people into a couple of different categories. And I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to remember them all, but the main categories are kind of like the person that's going to nurture you. So this would kind of be like your wife or your mother, um, your grandmother, and, and even maybe your, your male grandparents and, and father. Um, the person that's a threat to you. Um, the person you want to mate with, mm-hmm. right? And there were five altogether. I don't remember them all. But these these kind of classifications trigger how you respond to somebody, right? On a on a very like um, subconscious primal level. Yeah, it's it's very instinctual, and it happens in a matter of seconds. Um, so it's it's not something that you're like looking at people and saying, "Oh, this person fits under that category." It's just something that your brain automatically um, recognizes and makes a decision. Yeah, so it's kind of like. Um, when Vanessa and I get into an argument, my reptilian, she, if she yells at me, my reptilian brain signals, she's a threat. She's a threat. Ego, come in and and protect (laughs) us from this threat. And so ego comes in and says, you know, and gets, and wants to get aggressive, yells back or says something nasty to hurt her so that she retreats away from me. Like these are all the, the kind of things that our ego can do. Um, so as a couple, we've committed to each other to hold each other accountable. Um, so of course, obviously, we try to do that in an empathetic and a loving way. But sometimes when you're in your ego, when your ego kind of has taken over because it feels threatened, um, it's hard to receive that accountability. And the accountability can be interpreted by the ego as another as an attack as well yeah even if it's in the most loving way anything that's trying to get the ego to simmer down to not be in control is a threat to the ego and so you can be saying the nicest words to the person um, but if the ego feels threatened it's going to double down and it's going to you know stomp its feet and throw a temper tantrum in in um on many occasions not always but um and so my idea is or kind of the way i've learned to look at it is not so much as the ego needs to be killed or beaten but that the ego needs to be loved if we if we love the ego if we soothe the ego it'll calm down just like a child and we we can go along our business now all of this is is happening it's a practice that takes takes a lot of discipline and i'm not there yet i'm the first one to admit it um it takes a lot of practice because you have to do all of this in a moment. Vanessa says something to me. Reptilian brain says danger. Ego says where? Let me <laughs> let me fight it. Um, and in that moment, I have to choose to take a breath, observe what's happening, say whoa whoa whoa, it's okay, reptilian brain. It's okay, ego. She's not a threat to us. She's not attacking. She's just trying to communicate something. I'm sorry, honey. What was that you? said because I was having this internal battle battle right now. <laughs> um, and you, obviously you don't really have to say that out loud, but kind of that's what I try to tell myself. So this week, we a weekend, we had a, a pretty a pretty bad, well, it's a minor thing, but it turned into a bigger argument than it had to because I was in my ego. I knew I was in my ego and I just chose not to subdue my ego, not to soothe it. I just let it throw its temper tantrum and you know it effed with our relationship um so and the the crazy thing is that it wasn't even vanessa really that was triggering my ego it was an argument on the internet it was an argument on facebook that triggered it and it triggered another childhood wound so i'll I'll take you through the process of of what happened (laughs) so i'm having these debates online with some of the people in the, my neighborhood group. And, you know, I'm, uh, I don't like the term anti-vax because it's, it's like negative, but I'm pro holistic natural medicine, plant medicine. Um, I don't believe in vaccines. I don't necessarily think vaccines are, it doesn't matter. Point is, the people in the group, especially amongst COVID, are like so nervous. They're all like vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. 
So basically, I've gotten a reputation now where um, they know I'm an anti-vaxxer and they basically have a couple of people were making comments saying, oh, he's an anti-vaxxer. Don't listen to anything he has to say on anything. I, I was talking about government surveillance of protesters, which they all agree with. But yet, because of my anti-vax stance, they were basically they were kind of bullying me. Right. Um, I felt bullied, at least. Um and what I realized is that this went back to when I was in grammar school. I was like kind of the class clown. I had a big mouth, and as I do now, <laughs> and I couldn't stay quiet. And so I was considered a bad kid. I was put in the back corner of the classroom away from all the other students. I was ostracized in the back by the slop sink. Um, and I had my permanent desk back there, and I really wasn't, you know. And so a lot of my peers, a lot of the kids in school would make fun of me and kind of like, you know, point the finger. And that's what it felt like. My ego in that moment that all these people in this group were kind of ganging up on me just because I like natural medicine. I felt like that, like I was in fifth grade again and all the kids were laughing at me and telling the teacher that, you know, I was acting up or whatever, like telling on me. So, um, the, the this one particular woman who kind of was, was basically, calling for me to be censored because of my opinions. Um, she then, she was commenting on, on another thread about um, something else, not even on the same topic. And I basically said, well, maybe we should ask this person if they believe in natural medicine, because then we know we can just ignore their, like I was being sarcastic. And I had said to Vanessa, I had read her comment. And before I, I typed that answer, that sarcastic comment, I said to myself, I want to say this. But I know it's not the empathetic thing. I know it's not going to help the situation. It's not going to bring any unity or understanding. It's just, I know that this is my ego just wanting to like say something nasty because of the way she, basically she hurt me. And I said that to Vanessa and then I, I stopped talking about it and I was just sitting there getting aggravated at how she had spoken about me. And I said, you know what? I, I quietly, I didn't tell Vanessa, <laughs> I typed out the comment and I sent it. And I was like, yeah, take that. <laughs> How many times are you, are you arguing on Facebook and getting into a debate and you feel like you have, you're right ideologically. And so you have that attitude, right? It happens to me all the time. It, it doesn't happen to me all the time. I choose to do that a lot. And I'm really trying not to, to, because I really do believe that empathy is the best way to communicate these ideas. Um, bullying somebody or being sarcastic and and like you know just being nasty until they back down is not going to change their mind about the issue it may just make them back out of the argument and what good is that you haven't changed a mind so Vanessa calls me out and basically my ego just literally I raised my voice and I was like yeah I know you always have to call me out you can never take my side <laughs> you know couldn't you just give me this? She was such a bitch to me. She deserves it. And yeah, I know it was the wrong thing, but you know, just give me a break. And it turned into an argument and she went in the other room because she was like, this dude is just throwing his temper tantrum and <laughs> nothing I say right now is gonna make any difference. We argued for a few minutes and then she was like, I'm out. <laughs> so, um, and then I was in here stewing in it in my own, like angry. Now I'm angry at her for walking out on me like I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, these bullies on the internet are the problem. It's not me. But obviously, I knew from the start that it was the wrong thing to do. I knew from the start. And, and you know, maybe you, there's people in the audience saying, yeah, but it was justified. It's not that big of a deal. And maybe it isn't that big of a deal. The, the comment itself, I doubt the girl went and killed herself over it. But it was the wrong decision for me, it was bad for me. Um, somebody just made a comment online about, um, what's the saying? Hating somebody or it, is- uh, Being angry is like- um, Drinking poison and expecting the other person to be harmed. Yes. Yeah, and that's really what I was doing. I was drinking the poison and acting like I was sticking it to her. And she doesn't know me. She doesn't care what I think probably, like, right? <laughs> I mean, here I am taking it personally. I'm like, that five-year-old, uh, five, that fifth grader again, being like, "Oh, the whole class is ganging up on me," 
and I'm going to get my revenge now. <laughs> and she has absolutely no idea why this guy is taking her comments so seriously. So not only did I fall into an ego trap and let my ego run wild, I allowed that ego trap with somebody else to come between me and Vanessa. And so then for the rest of the night, things were like tense. And until like I finally was willing to apologize, you know, it's like, it's tension. And that's all, that's like wasted time. That was like a Saturday night that was ruined because, or whatever Friday day, night. whatever yeah. day it was, that was ruined because I was just being a child. And now we didn't really spend that time together. And then we, we kind of went to bed. I, I think we settled it before we went to bed, but it was still a little awkward. We kind of just agreed to disagree because there was still <laughs> a moment where Danny was like, yeah, I know it was wrong, but I don't really care. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I, honestly, I didn't feel sorry about it. And so I was trying to like, and I couldn't think of like a way to, to make myself feel sorry for it. So I don't know. I guess time just had to pass for me to... For my ego to legit calm down so that I could just be like, yeah, all right. I was I was being totally childish. I get <laughs> and I think um, one of the things that is is a struggle, right, in, in a situation like that is, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, Derek. Yeah. It absolutely is. But it's very difficult to integrate that. And especially for me, coming out of the activist community. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, go no, ahead. No. Um, <laughs> I think I lost my train of thought now. I'm sorry. <laughs> go, go. Well, I, what I was going to say was coming from the activist community, like being in activism for the last decade, It activism tends to be a very ego-driven um, thing. Like we tell ourselves that we want to wake up the masses and we, we want to help people and we want to change the world for the better. But we're not willing to change ourselves. We're not willing to step out of that ego where I'm right and I'm going to beat you over the head with my facts or my philosophy until you admit I'm right. Rather than if we're if we're doing it because we love people and we want to wake people up because we all want to be free and we want to have a better society, then empathy and compassion is really the way we have to communicate. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. And, um, you know... But that's what we've been doing, right? A lot of us, yeah, we, we're not just keyboard activists. We're doing stuff on the street. You know, I was cop blocking and cop watching and, and doing all those things, running for office and holding protests and all that type of stuff. But then, you know, when I'm, if I'm confronted in the street by somebody who doesn't agree with my protest sign or whatever, am I screaming at them or am I trying to have a compassionate dialogue where maybe I can change their minds, right? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. So you have to use empathy and compassion to establish that rapport before they can, they're really even willing to trust you enough to open up to you. So now this girl on, in my neighborhood group, she's like, oh, this dude's an anti-vaxxer. We can't even listen to him. Me just throwing arrows at her doesn't change her mind. But if I were to say, hey, listen, you know, I just tend to think that you know, natural medicine is preferable to me than putting chemicals in my body, whatever, whatever. She probably, she looked like a hipster. She probably, when I phrased it that way, she may have said, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm a vegan or, you know, who knows? Um, it could have led to a productive dialogue at least where she could have at least, even if she didn't agree with me, she could have at least respected my views. But instead, ego said, take a hike, woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm guessing if she's encountered any other anti-vax activists who have a similar mentality, it's very hard for her to be willing to listen to anybody's message at that point. And I mean, having that reaction, um, you know, reiterates that for her and confirms what she knows yeah. you know these these people aren't willing to be empathetic or have a conversation if i don't like what they say they're just gonna be nasty to me or dismiss me and you know i one of the things that i was saying as a matter of fact yesterday we were having the conversation more peacefully um i was saying we don't know what her interactions have been with other anti-vaxxers we don't know who she's met, who has tried to convince her. You know, sometimes when we believe that our way is the right way, we tell other people their way is the wrong way. So if somebody it doesn't believe in vaccines, comes up to her and tells her, well, you're a horrible mom because you're poisoning your kids, she's not going to be willing to listen to someone who's calling her a bad mom. She's not going to, there's nothing in that situation that's going to open her up to wanting to listen to another point of view. Yeah. Um, for sure. It's a hard lesson for me to learn and I'm trying to develop the, the 
discipline <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think especially, um, I mean, I think on the internet, it's easy to find all sorts of people and it's going to be, um, it's easy to find people that are gonna trigger you. Uh, no matter where you are, you'll find people that will trigger your your childhood wounds and your partner especially is going to trigger your wounds. Um, that's one of the main reasons you end up choosing that partner. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What, what other examples of ego traps do we have? Um, I think sometimes it's it's hard to empathize with another with another person when you are in your ego, because I think it creates this sensation or this idea that if another person is hurting, let's say if, if I'm if if Danny's hurt by something I said, Danny tends to um, be uh very uncomfortable with sarcasm and i am a very sarcastic person <laughs> um i she like is. i like sarcastic humor and so, so even when i'm joking around when i'm playing around and i use sarcasm playfully it triggers something in him and there are moments where i want to defend that i'm not i'm not hurting you i'm not saying anything mean i'm being playful I'm, you know, like, I don't understand why you're getting so offended by my sarcasm. But the truth is, I'm not empathizing with him in those moments. I am sticking to this idea that I didn't do anything to hurt you. So why are you hurt by my behavior if I didn't do it intentionally? And that can be very tricky. You know, there's this righteous idea that, you know, we're just playing around. If if we, we can play around with each other, why should sarcasm be you know, so hurtful, why would you get offended by such a thing? You know, it's, it's silly. I don't know, you know, maybe there is some sort of trauma there. Maybe there is somebody in your past that has spoken to you with sarcasm that triggered, that caused some sort of pain. And now that triggers, that triggers it. Me saying it triggers it and I don't know why, but it's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing to him. It's about something within him that is feeling that pain. Yeah, I haven't been able to trace that back yet, so I don't know. I don't know what it is. But the ego will have you believe that now his feelings of being hurt are my fault. So the ego is like, oh, well, now you hurt him, and I don't want to feel like I hurt him, so I have to prove that he's wrong. He shouldn't be hurt by that because then he would know that I'm, I wasn't hurting him intentionally. And the ego plays these, like, little tricks on you, and, and you start rationalizing and finding ways to explain what happened so that you're not at fault um, because the ego doesn't want to feel like I hurt my partner why would I hurt my partner? I'm not a bad person. I'm not a mean person. I wouldn't intentionally hurt him. So why would my, you know, why would my ego accept that I did hurt him unintentionally? And one of the examples I used to use with with Danny um, about, you know, hurting your partner unintentionally and being willing to apologize to the person, to empathize and and apologize even if you didn't intend to hurt the person, was. Um, I would say, imagine you're putting your coat on and I'm standing next to you and as you stick your arm through the sleeve, you accidentally hit me in the face. Now, you didn't intend to hit me in the face. Obviously, when you slipped your hand through, your intention wasn't, I'm gonna smack Vanessa across the face, but you did. And so you can understand that it hurts, right? Getting smacked in the face is going to hurt. And so if I tell you, ow, you hit me when you stuck your hand into your sleeve and it hurt, you can empathize with that without taking it personally, without saying, oh, yeah, I did that on purpose. You can just apologize. Oh, I never meant to do that. I'm so sorry. Do you want me to get you some ice? Do you want me to, you know, how can I help relieve that pain or simply an apology? And that doesn't mean that I'm holding you to this idea that you have intentionally hurt me. Yeah. Um, you know, I resonate with this, Diana, because I, I'm also from, my mother was Irish and she has a huge family, 11 brothers and sisters. And yeah, a lot of times they are very sarcastic. Maybe it's something from my childhood that I don't remember my mother being sarcastic either to me or to others. I don't know. I don't have a clear like recollection of where this like triggering comes from. But yeah, it could certainly, you're, you're definitely right about that. Culturally speaking, some cultures just like to use sarcasm more. I think Mexicans seem like they're, they're pretty 
yeah, sarcastic, we'll sarcastic. To turn. <laughs> so, um, and and that's kind of like a double psyop, right? So, sarcasm really is an egoic kind of um, mechanism. It, it's a defense mechanism, also, and it's it's meant to use humor, but it's still based in like an ego response. It's, yeah, it's not based on compassion. So she's having. Um, her ego is psyoping her into being sarcastic and then my ego is psyoping me to take offense to that sarcasm. Obviously, the sarcasm is her trying to defend herself from something as well. So it's not about me. It's just about whatever whatever is being triggered in her as well. And I think that's really probably one of the key things that it was very hard for me to learn is that when you're triggered by something, whoever the external source that's triggering you is not the problem. It's always a wound inside you that gets triggered, right? That's the problem. That's what needs to heal is whatever that wound is. And for me, I was always like, no, it's their fault. They said something that triggered me. So obviously they're the one at fault. But if I didn't have that wound, there would have been no trigger. Either I would have taken their sarcasm as a joke or I would have, you know, whatever. Or, or I could have said, oh, wow. She's being sarcastic. She must feel hurt about something. So let me find out what that is. You okay, babe? <laughs> Why are you being, you know, you're being sarcastic? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I think, and, and I'm sure that would like drop some defense mechanisms. Like, oh my God, wait a minute. He's asking me <laughs> what's wrong. Um, and I think that um, one of the things that right now that you were saying about taking offense to what other people say and thinking that it's about them. Um, I've really come to appreciate this idea that everybody that we encounter it serves as a mirror for us, whether it's to highlight something beautiful about yourself or to highlight areas in your life that need to be looked at. If somebody yeah. is triggering me, this is an area that I need to look at. What's going on here? What? Why was why was this reaction so strong? Why was I hurt by this? What area, what part of my life is struggling that got immediately triggered by this one little comment or by seeing something or hearing something? Sometimes even a scent can be triggering because it'll bring you back to some um, weird experiences. Um, but it's never about anybody else. And as we're talking about, you know, wanting to fix the world, especially as activists, as people who want to help other people, um, there's a quote, I'm not sure if it's Mother Teresa or I'm not entirely, I'm not 100% sure that it's Mother Teresa, but it was something along the lines like, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And the truth is we can't change the world unless we're able to fix the dynamic that we're in which we're living. If Danny yeah. and I are at each other's throats all the time, how could we possibly expect to change anybody else out there? We can't if we can't balance our own relationship, yeah. we'll never be able to balance a relationship with somebody that doesn't have that intimate connection that we have. And that was one of the things that um you know, in our argument, that's what I said, Danny got really triggered and really angry at the fact that I was holding him accountable. But the reason why he had made that comment to the woman was because he wanted to hold her accountable to her beliefs. And I said to him, if you are having such a hard time accepting accountability for me, and you know that I love you, you know that I'm in this with you and that, you know, I have your best interest in mind when I say these things, what makes you think that this woman is going to have an easy time accepting accountability from you when she doesn't know you? She doesn't know you from a hole in the wall. She's never had a conversation with you. And the truth is some of these conversations cannot be had on the internet. We cannot have these conversations through text or through commenting on Facebook because some of the sentences get, you know, the the wrong, they, they sound wrong when you read them, you misinterpret things, you might accidentally hit send before you actually write out your full thought and then it gets misinterpreted. And so it's almost impossible to have a sincere and honest conversation on the internet. Yeah, I mean, and there are studies about that where um, the text of a communication, you know, the words is only like 10% of the actual communication, body language, tone, all of that is lost in 
in online communication. And it's come to the point where it's almost exclusively how humans communicate. It's really amazing that the world is in a lot worse than it is based on the fact that we're basically running on fumes when it comes to how we communicate with each other. And Veronica is absolutely right. Um, I was trying to solve a problem with the same energy that, that created it. And ultimately what that is, is spiritual bypass, bypassing. I didn't want to be held accountable by Vanessa for being nasty to this woman, but I wanted to hold her accountable for her being nasty to me, right? Can we see that? How, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's bypassing, it's self-righteous, right? That's the epitome of self-righteous or virtue signaling or whatever other and it's, term you want to use. And it's literally the childhood, you know, um, thing that we've learned, right? Two wrongs don't make a right. Why would we think that meeting somebody with the same energy would somehow... Uh, um, neutralize the situation and in order for us to really heal our relationships we have to bring it back to neutrality to zero point you know to harmonize it and when we somebody meets us with a particular energy if we meet them with the same energy it's not going to neutralize it it's going to the energy is just going to continue to increase and increase and increase and i think the point that you made just now about our communication being almost exclusively through a screen means that so many of us are arguing about things that we probably agree with each other on the truth is the majority of human beings probably agree with each other on so many things but then we go on the internet and we say things and somebody reads it in the wrong way adds a different tone to it and all of a sudden we have a world full of people who think we are all at each other's throats and hate each other and disagree with each other but if you go and talk to your neighbor in person instead of sending a nasty text because you're upset at something you're more likely, most likely going to have a better interaction than if you have a, a conversation through text or on Facebook. It, it's, yeah, exactly. Like attracts like. Absolutely. And I don't know anything about um, Jesuitism, but sometimes, yeah, some relationships maybe aren't worth saving or i don't know if i would i would say they aren't worth saving but sometimes a relationship can't be saved if both partners are not willing if i had just insisted i'm not going to allow you to hold me accountable for this i don't want to hear it i don't care that would create a block in our relationship and if i allow that block to stay there and then i start building more blocks on top of it if i go the opposite way instead of being on a path where i'm trying to heal my ego so that i have less triggers if i'm allowing my ego to build up walls in between us eventually there's not going to be anything left for us to have a relationship and at that point if we stayed together because we had kids or because we lived together and we can't afford to, to separate or or something like that that could become a really toxic situation so, you know, if Grateful Heretic, if that's what happened with your relationship, you know, I, I understand how tough that can be. We had been in a place years ago where we were almost to that point where we had built so many walls in between us that um, if we had continued in that direction, we would have it, it became really toxic. It got to a point that it was very toxic, but it, it luckily for us. We hit a breaking point where then we decided we're gonna we're gonna heal this. We're gonna we love each other, so we're committed to working out these issues, and we started to look inward and heal ourselves and help heal each other. And so I think we were, you know, I'm very grateful for that. Um, I don't know if I want to say lucky because we made the choice to do it, but I also don't want to judge people that aren't ready to make the choice to do it because it's hard facing your demons. Um, and some people just aren't ready. And I don't want to feel like, I don't want to cast any judgment because for many years, I wasn't ready to do it. And we've been together for a long time now. And it's only literally the last two or three years that we're doing this heavy work together. I'm 43 years old. I'm like almost middle-aged. And it, it's finally now where I'm really starting to face my demons and actively work to heal them. So, you know, and we're trying to teach our kids to do that, to, to start then, you know, as, as children, so they could be, you know, much farther, farther along than we are. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we live in a society where we have so many distractions. We're distracted by social media, by television, by all of these things that keep us from going inward. 
and <laughs> exactly <laughs> preventing people from actually communicating and it it's really unfortunate we've just kind of accepted it um one of the beautiful things i think about um this whole pandemic whatever you believe about it is that um a lot of people got to stay home and actually like exist in a household with their partners so many people work outside of the home for hours upon hours and they spend more of their day at work than they do at home with their families and by being in the same space together for long longer periods of time i think it's creating um situations where people are looking within are looking at their communication skills and yeah when i was working eight hours a day um five days a week uh, Danny and I would be texting throughout the day and there were many times where we would misunderstand our text message um, conversations. We would, uh, it would be easier to hold on to that anger because we were speaking at each other through a screen instead of being in person. Like um, we actually used to say early on in our relationship before things got really, really bad that we were going to have a practice called or write a book called Argue Naked. And the, the idea behind that is that if you are at home naked in bed with your partner, it's a lot harder to hold onto the, uh, the anger, the, I don't know, the, the resentment. You're completely naked with the person. It's like you're in one of the most intimate, vulnerable, vulnerable positions. positions you could possibly be. And I know it's also, it was, it's a metaphor, right? Because it's also about like emotional nakedness, yeah. emotional vulnerability. Um, but yeah, it's like if you're holding each other naked and hugging, it's hard to have an argument. And it's much easier to, to have a, a, like a discussion <laughs> rather yeah. than it being an argument. And um, one of the things that I used to say was I, I love the moments in the morning when we just wake up. And one of the reasons it's my favorite time of the day is because we haven't had enough time yet to put on our masks. And the truth is we wake up in the morning and if we're getting ready to go to work or face the day or, or do whatever we have to do, we tend to put on masks. These are things that are going to prevent us from getting hurt, prevent people from making fun of us, you know, prevent us from being vulnerable. And when you wake up in the morning, you haven't exactly had the time to do that yet. And that's one of the best times to have these conversations. Yeah. And I think that you're, uh, what Grateful Heretic is saying here is... Um, absolutely true if if as as individuals you don't understand that you're enough and you're whole and you have value you don't need another person to validate you um then codependency can arise and we were very codependent in our in the beginning of, of our relationship um so absolutely uh and obviously the way to avoid codependency is to know that that you are of value no matter what, it doesn't matter who you are, what your um, job is, whether you have a partner or not, you know, how pretty your partner is, what, how much money you have. None of those things have any, make any difference to your value as a person. We are all valuable because we're all God's children or whatever your, your belief system is. Um, I would say we all have a soul and that soul is, that's the core of our value. It's, it's our humanity. Our sovereignty is an extension of that. Um, so yeah, um, I, <laughs> I, I actually do want to, um, address this. I, I agree, um, to a, to a degree. Now I'm not a Trump fan. I don't agree with 99% of his policies, but I think you're absolutely right that if Trump said breathing oxygen was a good thing, a lot of people would start holding their breath. Um, <laughs> I think it's absolutely an irrational um, response. Um, and the right way to handle tyrants like Trump, which is what I believe he is, and anyone that sits in the White House is by necessity going to be a tyrant, is with compassion and love. If we were to... Look at what Kanye and Kim Kardashian were able to accomplish, not by hating Trump, but by becoming friends, developing rapport, and using compassion. They were able to get him to release a, a few prisoners who were help, being held unjustly for nonviolent drug offenses. Um, I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. That uh, Alice Marie Johnson was one of the ones he they convinced him to let go, and 
after discussing things with him, he was calling Colin Kaepernick a bastard for kneeling during the anthem. And then afterwards, he was like, oh, maybe he had some, maybe there was, and obviously he hasn't really done anything to stop police brutality, and he's still supporting the police. But that compassion, it had some effect that he was willing to pardon Alice Marie Johnson. He changed, they changed her life. Compassion, the compassion of, of Kanye and Kim, and Kim Kardashian changed Alice Marie Johnson's life. It got her out of a cage and she's now free. So that's huge. If we were to all treat Trump and every other tyrant out there like that, if we were able, instead of sending negative energy, we hate them, we hate them, we hate them, they're tyrants, you know, and or even the police, fuck the police, right? That's a lot of negative energy that a lot of, a big portion of society, especially the libertarian anarchist, like freedom movement is directing. That's a lot of negative energy and it's just going to metastasize and get worse. That is fueling the police state because we push back against them, then they're going to push back harder. And, you know, for the most part, they have superior weapons. Um, but if we use compassion to establish rapport with them, and show them why these policies um, are, you know, anti-freedom, we can get a lot farther, I think, right? And, you know, Christ and Buddha and all of the great spiritual teachers have always said that, that a kind word turns away anger, um, that love defeats hate. And, you know, the, the progressives have that slogan, right? Love trumps hate. And it was supposed to be like an anti-Trump thing. And it's really true, but how many of them really practice it because I see a lot of people just hating and hating on Trump and I'm I'm guilty of it too you know I lose my patience and I get angry too and I feel the same way sometimes but you know this is this is a lesson that um, Vanessa has been trying to teach me for years so <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> I think I think it's difficult I think we've learned um, if we think about it it's it's a defense mechanism right if somebody doesn't agree with us we hate them we're angry at them and we have a right to be angry at them if they don't do what we want them to do we have a legitimate reason to dislike them and as um, somebody was saying earlier it's meeting an energy that we want to remove with the same energy and it doesn't work it doesn't help um we were recently listening to um russell brand's podcast and he had duncan trussell on and he was talking about um movements where we're fighting violence with violence and we want to replace a system but if we replace that system with violence then we've already adopted violence as a way to replace a violent system and it doesn't work um it, it we we end up becoming the thing that we're trying to fight and uh i think we do have to shift the strategies shift the energy that we meet certain things with and that's kind of how we work through um our egos is shifting that energy if our ego wants to throw a temper tantrum we're not going to meet our ego with the temper tantrum and saying no you shouldn't do this no you're not allowed to do this no you're wrong meeting it with that same angry energy if we meet it with love the ego calms down and then we can allow it to exist without controlling our lives without being in control of everything we say and do yeah for sure <laughs> what other ego traps do we have anything else on the, on the on, list on our, um i mean i they all kind of fall into the same thing you, you know we're reliving childhood traumas yeah. um one question that i heard recently that was like a good way to kind of get you out of um out of that ego trap is when you're feeling a, a very strong emotion like anger or frustration or you know you want to have a like you have this impulse reaction is to stop and ask yourself how old am i right now and that might get you to a place of recognizing what is being triggered in that moment how do i how old do i feel right now do i feel like that fifth grader that was being bullied in grammar school or do i feel like you know 36 year old Vanessa right now in this moment having an experience and once you're able to separate these these um experiences you can you can respond accordingly to the situation and not respond to 
that fifth grade trauma. Right. Sometimes we're responding to a situation that has nothing to do with our fifth grade trauma. You know, Danny having this reaction to this woman, she's probably like, what is even happening right now? Why is this guy getting so so angry at me? I just made this this comment. She has no idea that he's responding to his bullying in fifth grade, you know? Yeah, I'm not even, at that point, I'm not even arguing with her. I'm arguing with my fifth grade class. And that's it took me a long time to understand that that's what living in the now means it being present in this moment listening to what Vanessa's trying to, to communicate to me rather than living in the past where something she says remind me of something my mom said or somebody in my class said that hurt me and I'm reliving that trauma and I'm missing the communication that's happening right here because I'm somewhere else mm -hmm. So it it took me a long time to really be able to get what that meant. I had no idea what Ram Das meant by be here now. But this is what it is. Being in the very moment, communicating, actively listening rather than listening to your thoughts. And my thoughts are loud. My internal dialogue, sometimes Vanessa's speaking to me, looking right at me, and I'm looking at her, and she'll say something, and my mind goes off on a different thought process that sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, I went on this thought process. I don't know what she's even talking about now. I totally <laughs> tuned out. I don't, and now I'm trying to remember like what were the words she just said? What was she like? I'm trying to catch up to her before she realizes that I don't know what she's talking about. So then I can pretend, oh yeah, no, honey, I totally agree. Absolutely. <laughs> but my thoughts, my ego, my internal dialogue is so loud that sometimes it's impossible for me to listen to people that are right in the room with me. It's, it's a really a struggle. It's it's a big it's a big struggle for me. It's very hard to and it just really gets in the way of any meaningful conversation. Yeah, and I think that that's also a um, side effect of the kind of um, the society that we live in with social media. Right? We have Instagram. News is fed to you in fifteen second increments. You know because that says how long our attention span is. And we have then this tendency to live in a society where we're, you know, we're responding to people back and forth quickly. It's all like fast. We can't stop to listen for more than 10 or 15 seconds because then we're off to the next thing. I find myself at times being interested in reading a post somewhere and it's a long post. And if I feel like it's too long, I'm just like, ah, whatever, I, I don't have time to read this whole thing. But that's part of the problem. And I catch myself now when, I, I, when I'm starting to get impatient, like this was really long. I don't wanna have to read the whole thing. Um, I catch myself and I say, no, you're, what are you rushing off to do? Read the next post? Like, what is, what, what, why would I do that? Why not focus on one thing at the moment and, and just be there and absorb it? And I think, um, you know, there are many ways in which we can kind of pull ourselves out of that. Um, meditation is certainly helpful. And um, I don't necessarily think everybody has to sit at home and close your eyes and cross your legs and meditate for 20, 30 minutes at a time. Sometimes taking a walk, taking a walk and just observing the trees, observing the flowers, observing nature, it that in and of itself is meditation. It's a practice of being in the moment, right? If you're walking down the street, instead of thinking about all the problems in your life, if you're just looking at the beauty of the leaves, of the trees, of the flowers, it's you're being in that moment. Nothing else matters except what's right in front of you. Those, these flowers right in front of you and you can look at them and just appreciate them and be grateful. That is meditation because it's taking you out of the past. You're not thinking about the future, what you're, hope, what you're hoping for, but you're just existing in that moment. And there's really a lot of power in that. And I am, I do not have the discipline to meditate like that, but things like that are much easier for me. Like to, I don't have the discipline to like sit for 30 minutes quietly, right? Like I'm trying to develop that um, discipline, but it's hard for me. Um, but things like that are much easier, you know, to be able to like just stop and listen to the birds, stop and observe the beauty of the moon, 
you know, that's something that Vanessa has really inspired me because she loves the moon and she loves looking at it. And <laughs> honestly, I don't know that I ever really paid too much attention to it. But if it last night, that <laughs> that's was... what I was going to say. Last night we were driving home and the moon looked humongous. It was yeah. so big and bright and just beautiful and danny was like take a picture <laughs> and i was like no matter how i try to take a picture it will do it no justice i just want to enjoy it and he was like yeah. you know that's you know that's another thing that we've kind of adopted in society we want to take pictures of everything hold and on to that moment yeah and post it for everybody to see the thing that we just experienced but in doing so we miss that time that we could be experiencing it because you you're thinking about who you're gonna and maybe it's not just like a narcissistic thing like, oh, I'm going to impress everybody who follows me on social media. It might just be legitimately like, wow, this is beautiful. I want to share this. Mm -hmm. But while you're thinking about who else you're going to share it with, you're not you're not in the moment. You're not like actually enjoying it. So take that moment. And there will be other moments. There will be other moons. If you miss it, if you can't take the picture, it's okay. There'll be another moon tomorrow. And you can, you know, we don't have to save these moments and like put them on social media so that we can prove they existed so that we can remember, oh, that was a moment that I was happy because we can continue to have happy moments if we if we focus. And on I that. think that's that's part of the problem, right? This attachment to to a moment and instead of appreciating for what it is, we're not going to be happy 24 seven. That doesn't you know, we have in in our human experience, we are having we're experiencing everything, all sorts of emotions, and it's perfectly fine to experience anger and frustration and sadness and joy and gratitude and all of these things. Um, it's it's perfectly normal, but we have a tendency that when you have a happy moment, you just want to hold on to it and you want to hold on to it so much that you miss it because you're trying so hard to to hold like to keep it. And um, I think we appreciate the joyful moments. Um, we were saying this actually yesterday, we were having uh, dinner with some friends and we were talking about the fact that we appreciate our relationship because we have gone to the very, what we, what we say is like, we've gone to the depths of hell in our relationship. We've gone through some really difficult and trying moments in our relationship. We've had experiences that were horrible and because we've seen the darkest that our relationship can go, we can swing the other way to feel the immense joy and happiness. We can appreciate the happy moments that we have because we know what it's like to be in those dark places. And I think that has shown me a different perspective in how to appreciate even the dark moments, how they serve their own purpose. Um, one of the experiences I had when we went to Peru last year, we were hiking on a mountain and um, once we got to the top of the mountain, a, a hailstorm just came down uh, on onto us and um, Danny and I had already taken off our shoes. We were kind of grounding and wanting to experience like feeling the earth on our feet and we decided to continue our hike barefoot. and. Um, I was walking through certain paths and I would step on like stones or pebbles and there were there would be some sections that were really, really rocky and they hurt. And in that moment, as I was walking and I would feel the pain and then it would just kind of guide me onto a different path where it was grassier or there were less rocks. And it kind of just came to me all at once. Like, wow, this is what the difficult moments are for. They kind of guide you in, onto a different path. They lead you to an area where maybe you wouldn't have explored if you were comfortable constantly. If we were always comfortable, how much would we be willing to explore? But it's not till you're like stripped of everything that then you have the capacity to just explore anything else out there, anything outside of the things that you know and are comfortable with. And that has increased my appreciation for the difficult moments, the uncomfortable moments, the frustrating moments. Um, I've said to Danny, you know, I appreciate our arguments. They are going to take us to a deeper level of our relationship. And that doesn't mean I enjoy the arguments. Um, sometimes they're frustrating. This past weekend was a really, really frustrating argument to hear him say, yes, I know I was in my ego. I made a choice to be in my ego. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I 
think it's perfectly fine for me to let my ego have its way once in a while. And I was like, what is he saying right now? <laughs> I thought it was complete insanity. And then once he said that, I was like, okay, this is his ego taking over. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to step out for a moment and just let him hang out with his ego for a while and I'll come back when his ego's taking a nap or something has exhausted <laughs> itself for the day. <laughs> once I, once my ego finished its temper tantrum and just exhausted itself to sleep. Yeah. There's a conversation in the comments going on about how, um, Trump is a puppet of, um, you know, I guess the Illuminati, whatever you call it, the 1%, the Illuminati. Um, and in the same way, uh, or that Trump is a front man. And in the same way, like sometimes our persona, either online or out in the street, like we put on this game face, right? This mask. And that's the front man. Our ego sometimes is the front man. And the front man's job is to protect us. I mean, obviously Trump's, you know, the front man in government's job is to protect the 1%. Um, or the financial class or, or whatever. And our ego is is kind of like our front man protecting us, right? And it means well in that sense, but we don't have to let it take control. We don't have to let it put us into an internal police state to keep us safe, right? And that's that's what it's about. It's about freeing ourselves from the, the front man ego and the psyops that he runs, it runs, to um you know kind of set up a police state to protect us from being hurt yeah um, and i mean you know th that's exactly what it is everything that we experience externally is something that's going on internally and a lot of us have allowed our ego to run the show and create a police state internally where we are putting up blocks where we're not allowing things to to be fully expressed not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with others and connect with others and you know it's we are seeing it play out externally as well yeah yeah i agree and that's why we can't fall into those fear-based psyop traps um definitely yeah, and by responding with compassion to our, even to our ego, um, and to all the tyrants in the world, is the only way we can disarm them. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. That was a quick, that hour flew by. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely um, I'm actually going to be on, uh, coming up now at, at 3 o'clock Eastern Time in a few minutes, I'm going to be on Toward Anarchy. You can check out that show at towardanarchy.com. And um, we're going to be talking about the riots, George Floyd, police brutality, racism in America, and all of those issues. So if you're interested in that, um, come check us out on TowardAnarchy.com. And as always, um, please follow us on um, our social media. We're on all the major, uh, since the uh, all the major uh, social media platforms, but we're also on FloatAndMinds.com because we do not believe in censorship or um, uh, the way social media sells our data, you know, invades our privacy. So um, we ask everybody, if you're not already familiar, check out Minds.com and the Float app. Both of these are anarchists run. They are um, anti-censorship and pro-privacy. So these are great um, apps. And I think we all should be reducing our dependency on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube because they are openly now calling for censorship um, of anything they consider fake news, right? So holistic medicine, vitamin C, and you know any criticism of vaccines is now considered fake news and they're censoring this stuff. Um, and I think on another level, we should also be reducing our dependency on social media well, to communicate um, yeah. with our fellow human beings. So sure. um, definitely go out there and talk to your neighbors and you can shoot us an email, find us on these apps and connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts, um, suggestions on future shows. We're always looking for topics to discuss and you know, as always, this is a community conversation. So anything that you might even be struggling with, we'd love to hear and perhaps um, create a space for you to express it. Um, if you'd love to be on the show, we'd love to have you. So definitely reach out for that. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, Veronica, we did not see your email, so I will find you in the comments on YouTube and we'll, we'll hook up so we can, we can just have a discussion. Um, thank you all so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Um, we appreciate you joining us on the Sovereign Love Stream. And see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening.